You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome or welcome back to another edition of the Systematic Investor Series with me, Niels Karstrup-Larsen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners, our conversations are indeed intended to keep you focused and inspired to continue your rules-based investment journey. And if you're new to the show, I hope that today's episode will trigger your curiosity to check out the back catalogue and listen to the past episodes that you may have missed. For example, like the last episode of of last year before Christmas with Jerry, which may well be one of the best that we have done in the Systematic Investor Series. Now, today's episode is the second in a two-part solo miniseries where I talk about the thought process and design strategy that went into the trend-following program that I've been running since 2007, but that is not related to my full-time job at Dunn. And as I also stated in part one, is that since I joined Dunn in 2015, there is no actual money in the system, but since I still run it each day before I go to work, and since I ran it live for many years, I know that the performance numbers that I'm going to discuss with you today are fully reliable and takes into account the trading cost that you would incur. So I think it is a fair comparison to other trend-following programs out there. Now, the purpose of doing this comparison is not to say that one trend-following approach is better than another, but it's rather to show how they can be different at times, yet also similar at other times. And to also illustrate that I think it is possible to put your own flair on your trading program if you want it to achieve certain characteristics in terms of, say, correlation or offset to a portfolio of traditional markets. There are many, many successful managers that have gone for a more classical style trend following where you apply the same concepts to all markets and predominantly only change the look back period for each system. And that is perfectly fine. And we know that this approach has also worked very well for many decades. But with my system, what you'll see is that each type of subsystem plays an important role. Just like if you were putting together a soccer team, or as we like to call it over here in Europe, a football team with defenders, midfielders, and strikers, each of them adding a different skill to the team. Also, just to recap, the first period from 1995 to 2007 is solely based on a backtest of the configuration as it has been since 2013. The period 2007-2015, the program did run live with somewhere between 25 and $100 million give and take in AUM for a good part of this period. But I'm sure we made some changes and improvements over that period, which would have made the performance at the time a bit different. And since 2014 onwards, no changes have been made to the design nor the code, so that is a pure 
forward test, just like if you were running it live. Now, the program trades a fully diversified portfolio of 44 markets. It's actually the same markets that you will find on the toptradersonplug.com website if you look at the trend barometer. But as mentioned in part one, there were some specific design choices that were taken in order to build a trend-following program that was different uh, from what was already offered by larger managers. And one of the decisions we took was to effectively underweight portfolio risk allocations to currencies, interest rates slash bonds, and to overweight allocations to commodities. The performance numbers that I will be using are net of 0% management fee and 25% performance fee, just to use the same fee standard that we also charge at Dunn as we think it's the fairest way to treat clients when they make money. It benefits us, otherwise it doesn't. And since I'm recording this just before 2020 is over, the numbers I use are as of close of business, December 30th. In order to give you an overall feel of the program, let me start by listing some of the net of fee stats, so to speak, as mentioned since 1995 until the end of this month, December 2020. And of course, let me just remind you that past performance is, of course, no guarantee of future returns, and there is a substantial risk when trading futures. Now, the program has, based on the data, as mentioned, with all the caveats of that, had an annualized return since 1995 of 15.48%. And that has come with a volatility of 16.01%. And that means that the sharp ratio of the strategy and the fees is 0.98. Now, this has come with a healthy drawdown of 40.85%. The main benchmark that we use would be the SOCGEN trend index. And unfortunately, that didn't start until January of 2000. But so the correlation I'm going to mention now, because of course, one of the design wishes we had was to be correlated, but not too highly correlated to um, the industry. So the, the correlation numbers I'm going to mention now is from January 2000 and onwards, so 20 years. And the correlation to the SOCGEN trend index has been 0.67 and to the BTOP50 index 0.6. If we then just zoom in on the performance since 2000 to make it comparable to the SOCGEN trend following index, my trend following program has delivered a net return of annualized 12.8%. The volatility annualized is 16.21% for the period, and that gives you a sharp ratio of 0.83%, or not 0.83. And the maximum drawdown is still 40.85 because that is actually come recently in the last few years. Now, I mention this because our friends down in the Traders Outpost, they do some great updates every month, Richard and his team, where they take data from 
another great free resource, by the way, called Nielsen Hedge Database. You should check that out. And then track a portfolio of the 10 best trend-following programs, and they put it into an equally weighted portfolio. Of course, there is the benefit of hindsight in the way the managers are being picked, as it relies on historical data, but there aren't that many trend followers who have a um, 20-plus year track record So uh, and are still in business, by the way. So I don't think it would be that hard to put together something similar in real time. And so to compare the numbers that I mentioned for what uh, my program has achieved, if you combine the best trend-following programs over this 20-year period that the Nelson Hedge database tracks, and you give them an equal weight, you get a annualized return of 10.13%, and you get that with an annualized volatility of 16.33. So actually very, very similar volatility to to, to my program. And uh, that gives you a sharp ratio of 0.62. Of course, the drawdowns improve significantly when you combine many different managers. And so here you get that return with a drawdown of, or maximum drawdown of 14.29%. So as I said, naturally, it's going to be a lot lower when you pick 10 different managers. But I think it also goes to show that for those investors who are willing to do a bit of work and put together a portfolio of trend followers, you can get some really appealing returns with very reasonable and equity-like volatility, but with drawdowns that are just a lot lower than what stocks have provided in the past 20 years where we've had two drawdowns of more than 50%, and then this year, 2020, we've had a drawdown of 30 to 35%, depending on which index you look at. So let me start, and this is from a lot of notes that I have with me, so bear with me as I make my way through all of this. But let me, again, just to give you a deep dive, and by the way, this episode may not be for everyone. It's maybe boring that I list a lot of numbers, but I really wanted to dive into some of these numbers instead of just talking about it vaguely. So if you want to skip the rest of this, perfectly fine. We'll see you on the next episode. But otherwise, let me dive in and run through some of the annual numbers of my trend-following program in a bit more detail, and then I'll try to put it into context on how each of the subsystems that we discussed on the previous episode, on part one of this conversation, how they contributed and also put in some kind of context to the SOCGEN trend index, at least from the year 2000 and onwards when we have data for that. And what I also wanted to do was at the end and maybe go into a bit more detail about 2020 because that's a year we have fresh in our minds. So I want to break that down on a month-by-month basis because I think it's really useful. It's usually during these unseen periods in terms of data where we can learn a lot. Okay, so back in 1995, back in the 90s, of course, generally speaking, trend-following did well. And if you remember from the first episode, the system has three groups of systems. You have a group that is kind of middle-of-the-road type trend-following strategy. Then you have a group that tries to mimic 
how discretionary traders would trade the markets. Bit slow to get in, bit quick to get out, different ways of getting out. And then you have a group that is more what you would describe as counter-trend in nature. They are also a kind of plunge protection team, meaning this group is designed to react really fast if something were to happen in the bond or the equity part of the portfolio. Not design. I mean, you could say it's kind of designed to ensure some level of crisis alpha, but it it's more like we wanted to do something that where we could be sure to offset some of the losses investors would have had in their traditional part of their portfolio, so the equities and the bonds. So for the year 1995, the program, and these, by the way, are gross numbers, so they are before fees of any kind, but the program was up strong, about 43%. And if I break it down, I see that the middle-of-the-road trend-following group produced around 55 ish percent of that. Then you had the group that resembles discretionary decision-making, but of course still in a fully algorithmic way. That had a really strong year, up almost 20%, as well as the, let's call it the, the counter-trend group, that was also up a bit more than 20%. So most of the performance came from the, or came not from the classical trend-following part of the portfolio. So that's kind of interesting to note. 1996 was another strong year for the strategy, up almost 29%. This was much more evenly spread, actually about 9% or so from the classical trend-following models. About 12% came from the quote-unquote discretionary style algorithms. And then finally, the rest, about 8% or so, came from the counter-trend type models, fast-reacting counter-trend models. 1997, very strong, up a bit more than 50%. Very strong in the trend following, classical trend following, was about half of that. About 6-7% contribution from the discretionary type style algorithms. And then also a strong year, about 20% from the short-term counter-trend type models. So I call them group one, two, and three. Maybe I should just refer to that. I think you get the picture. So I don't have to repeat this every time. It'll save you a few minutes for sure. Now, 1998, where, of course, as some of you will remember, we had things like long-term capital blow up and, and all of that. So an interesting year. Group one, so classical trend, up about 5%. Group two, slash discretionary type style, up about 14% and the rest came from the counter-trend slash short-term, fast-reacting, let's call them that, models. Uh, 1999, the last year before I have some comparison data from the Sokjian Trend Index, another strong year, up almost 20% on a gross basis. Not much coming from Group 1 and 2. Group 1, less than 1%. Group 2, about 4 And then the rest came from the shorter-term or fast-reacting counter-trend type models. Then we start 2000, 2000. We have the trend, Sokjian Trend Index up almost 12%, so a strong year for the trend index. My trend-following program was up around 26%. 
a good year for the two classical trend subsystems, providing about a third of that performance. Another third came from group two, and then group three delivered the last third of that performance. 2001 was a flat year completely for the SOCGEN trend index. My program was up around 18% gross. Most of that, pretty much all of that, coming from group one, so the classical trend models, and then very little contribution from the group two and a little bit of contribution from group three. Then we go to um, 2002, which was a very strong year for the SOCGEN trend index, up 26%. Could be the best year actually on record, I think. It was also a good year for my trend-following strategy, up almost 37% on a gross basis. And this was pretty well spread out. Group 1 contributing about 11, Group 2 about 14.5, and and then the rest came from Group 3. Then you have another good year for the Sokjian Trend Index, up 12% in 2003. My strategy was up almost 50%, and that was a good show about 14% from group one, very strong show from group two, the discretionary type models, even though they're not discretionary, but they're trying to mimic what a discretionary trader, how they trade, up almost 24%, and then the rest coming from group three. 2004 was a tricky year, I remember that. I actually remember some of the legends in our industry, John Henry, Keith Campbell, Maybe even Jerry was there sitting in Chicago on a hot summer day at one of the industry conferences and talking about it being a challenging year, at least at that time of the year. The Sokjian Trend Index does seem to have recovered at the end of the year. It was up 2.68%. And in terms of my breakdown of performance, the system was up 36%, so it was pretty strong. The performance coming partly from about a third of it coming from group one. Group two delivered strong 20%, and then group three delivered the remaining part. 2005 was a flat year for the Sokjian Trend Index, up 75 basis points. My system was up 29%. It made uh, about a third of that in group one. It made a little bit more than a third of that, 40%, in group two. And then the rest came from the Group 3 models. And then we have 2006, December, was a decent year for the Sokjian Trend Index, up 8.25%. My system was up that year, uh, 42%. And that came with a strong showing from Group 1, almost half, and another almost half from Group 2, and the remaining part, 20% or so, came from the Group 3 models. 2007 was a, another good year for the Sokjian Trend Index, up 8.58%. My strategy was up 26% that year, and that was not so much from the classical trend-following models in Group 1. They delivered about 6%. Then you had another 6% or so from Group 2, and then you had the remaining part, so the bulk of the return really came from the group three models that year. Now, 2008, interesting year, as we know, strong year for trend followers. The Sokjian trend index up almost 21%, so a real blue chip year. 
This particular system that I have was up 48% that year. Again, I have to say, this is on a gross basis. Of course, the Sock Gen Trend Index is net of manager fees. And this came from about half of that came from group one. And then a good third came from group two. And then the remaining part came from group three. All three groups were positive that year. Then the problems begin because then we came into the world of QE and as we know, central bank intervention. So this becomes a little bit more interesting, I think. 2009, so the Sokjian Trend Index lost 4.8% that year, not a disaster. My program was up 10.46%, and that broke down as a, most of that really coming from Group 1 models, so the classical trend models, the way we had designed them. Group 2 also had a good year, about 5.5%, but then Group 3 lost money that year, so the shorter-term counter-trend models did not work out that year. So that's how it broke down. 2010, a decent year for sure for the Sokgen Trend Index, up 13.13%. On my side, the program was up 25.4%, and all of the models, simply every single subsystem provided some performance most of it came from the counter-trend group of models, but actually they all did okay. Then you have 2011, difficult year for the Sokjian Trend Index, down almost 8%. My program was up 18.4%, and this was really down to the counter-trend models, as you would expect, because the trend-following index was down, and in order for it to be up that year, Obviously, it wouldn't co have come from the trend-following model. So they were net-net down a bit. And then all the performance came from the shorter or the fast-reacting counter-trend systems. 2012 was a slight down year for the Sokjian Trend Index, up, uh, sorry, down 3.4%. It was a pretty uneventful year for my program, up 4%. And, so, and that broke down really by slightly up in the classical trend-following models in Group 1. Group 2 was also okay, up 1.7%, and Group 3 was just up a fraction, so nothing to write home about. 2013, Sokjian Trend Index up 2.67%. My system that year was up 9.5%, and this broke down predominantly coming from Group 1 systems, then Group 2 was slightly up, and Group 3 was down a fraction. Now we come into a period where my system has had much more difficulty than classical trend-following models. So 2014 was a good year for trend-followers, for sure, up 19.7%. My system was flat for the year, up just half a percent. And this is kind of the price you pay when you design a system like we do to have certain specific characteristics because most of that performance from memory came from being short energy that year. And because we have not as much exposure to the short side as we have to the long side, this was a time where that definitely did, didn't pay off. So... 
when you break it down, group one trend following models was up only a fraction, two and a half percent or so. Group two, where there is a long bias, was down a couple of percent that year. And then group three was pretty much flat for that year. So that's one way of showing a clear difference as well. There was also a difference in the next year where we had the Sokjian trend index being completely flat for the year. And my trend following strategy was down about 11.7%. This coming from all three groups were down, but the most challenging was group three. So the counter trend models, they did not perform well and they account for a bit more than half of the negative return. Then we get into a year of 2016 where the performance is somewhat more alike. It was a challenging year. The Sokjian trend index was down about 6.14%, and my system was down 4.86%. And frankly, that was accounted for by Group 1 and 2. Group 3 actually provided a slight positive contribution, but not enough to bring the year into the black. Then we have 2017, another Somewhat challenging year, uh, for some at least. I know managers that have done well, but for the industry as a whole, it was a year where the Sokjian trend index was up 2.2%, and uh, my strategy was pretty flat, up 57 basis points. And that was really divided because the trend strategies did well, so group one and two did well. And this is again where you uh, an example of where you pay the price by having something with a different characteristic. Um, so all the fast-reacting systems did poorly, and that's where all the money was lost. So it ended up being a slightly positive year, but nothing to report about. Then you have 2018, which was another really difficult year. Actually, one of the more difficult years that I can remember for the CTA slash trend-following industry. And uh, here we see the Sokjian trend index down 8%, which is quite a lot for an index. And uh, my program was down pretty much exactly the same, just shy of 8%. Performance mostly down in the group 1 and 2 models and pretty flat in group 3. Again, understandably, because as the trend-following index were having troubles, so were my main trend following models also. 2019, not that long ago, the Sokjian trend index had a good year, up 9.23%. And my program had a quiet year, up 4% for the year. The group one models were actually losing money that year. And group two pulled in all of the returns. So the quote-unquote discretionary mimicking type algorithms and group three was completely flat. Now, that, of course, brings us all the way up to 2020, where I said I would go into a little bit more detail, and I hope I can do that without it becoming too confusing. Let's set the stage. 2020 looks overall, I think, to become a decent year for trend followers, the last number I have for the Sokjian trend index is up 5.11% or so. It's probably going to end up a little bit higher than that because it, we still have the data from yesterday and the data from today, the 31st of, of December, to add to this. So hopefully 
it'll end up being a little bit higher than this. As it stands right now, after a few challenging years, my trading program is up 34.9% for 2020, but that does not include today, December 31st. But what's interesting to me is really how this breaks down on a month-by-month basis, right? Because all by a system-by-system basis, because the year has been so unusual. And we talked about this before on the podcast, and that is when you have a year like this year where essentially your models have never seen data like this, the speed of the sell-off in February and March and the speed of the recovery later in the year is just simply something we've never seen before and we so we don't have it in the data when we design the models. So, of course, a year like this year is really interesting to me to see whether the basic principles of trend following is still robust enough to deal with a complete unknown period like this. So, of course, you can say that based on a very strong return of the program this year, of the strategy this year, you can say, yes, definitely, it's done exactly what you would hope it to do. I think what is more pleasing and interesting to me is that when I look at the groups of models, so the 30, almost 35% breaks down pretty much a third, a third, a third. Maybe not quite. Maybe it's like a third in group one, classical trend. A little bit less than a third in group two, so kind of discretionary type modeling. And then the plunge protection team or the fast reacting systems, which are there to help ensure that when bonds and in this year in particular equities really go through some trouble, they're there to kick in. And and that's exactly what what I've seen this year. They're also providing a really strong performance. So that's been the journey for me. And as I said, this is not to say one way of doing trend following is better than another, but it's to highlight at least there are different ways of thinking about how you want to design your systems, what you want your systems to do for you. We, of course, designed it uh, with by putting into the context that we wanted to be part of multi-manager portfolios where investors would have not just equities and bonds, most likely they would have other CTAs and trend followers as well. So we wanted it to be a little bit different. Another thing that is hugely interesting to me, <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting to you, But when I look at now the total return of each of these three groups since 1995, and this is done on a very simple way of just adding them together. I'm not compounding here and doing anything uh, sophisticated. But if I look at just simple math and I add up the returns of the three groups over a 25-year period, they are almost identical. And so they have essentially, over that 25-year period, delivered a third of the performance each of the groups. And I think that also speaks to a pretty sound and robust 
system design because at the end of the day, we are designing with the mantra knowing what you don't know. And so we're putting together models that we think will do well in different environments. And by combining them, we try to build something that overall is robust. So that was a lot of numbers. I hope you're still with me. I kind of understand if you're not, but I hope you you are. And I hope that in some way it has been useful to listen to kind of a deep dive into how I thought about system design with my partners back then. And this is, you know, many years ago now. And how you can really design systems with a bit of, say, personality, even if they are fully algorithmic and have no discretion in the way they are implemented. I also hope it's been useful to hear that how even after a few years with subdued performance and building up a decent size drawdown, which the strategy has done, because of the environment was simply not being in favor for this kind of trend-following program, but that the program still kicked into gear at the beginning of 2020 when suddenly we again had an environment for what the program has really been built to thrive in. And to me, this really demonstrates that the basic concepts of trend-following are sound and that they are incredibly robust. So as we head into um, a new year, I hope that you are even more inspired to learn more about this approach to trading and that you are ready to take some action and implement it in your own portfolio and to continue your journey together with us here at Top Traders Unplugged. And as I've said before, I know that your time is a great unrenewable resource and that you lend us an hour or two each week to keep up with the podcast, to learn and to fail and to get up with us and to walk together on this journey of figuring out how to best trade and invest in an uncertain and sometimes crazy world. And for that, I always will be incredibly grateful. On that note, I'm going to wrap up this solo episode, last part, and I hope that you've enjoyed both of them. And if you did, please uh, let me know and please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review so more people can find the podcast in 2021. And make sure you keep your questions coming to us. You can email them at info at and we will do our very best to answer them as soon as we can. And of course, you're also able to follow all of us on Twitter. And from time to time, we may even manage to share some really interesting content. From me, Niels Karstolarsen, thanks ever so much for listening. And I look forward to being back with you in the coming weeks and with all my co-hosts. And in the meantime, be well, stay safe, and all the best for 2021. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. 
And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.